Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Welcome to Exploring Missions, and today we have a special guest that I've been looking forward to interviewing uh, because he's in an area of ministry that I love and enjoy, but it unable to produce. Now, you wonder what that is? It's connected with music. And uh, today we have with us Tim Menzies. Did I say that correct, Tim? You said it perfectly. Oh, man. Listen, uh, I try hard, but sometimes I can mess (laughs) up a name. But it's good to have you with us. And you're living in Nashville, Tennessee, I understand. Yes, sir. I've been here for 42 years. Oh, wow. Most of my life now. Man, okay. Well, I know that's a wonderful city, got a great history, and honestly, it's got a really a lot of great churches there, by the way, for those folks that are moving to Nashville. Uh, you'll have uh, some good choices to pick from. But today, we wanted to talk about your story, your journey. Uh, I, I was reading over this, Tim, and we, we're going to get to what you're doing, but before we get there, we want to talk about, sounded like you started in music very, very young with your family. Is that right? Yes, sir. Um, I was the third born of five children uh, to a singing guitar playing mother and a very uh, supportive father uh, to her musical uh, endeavors. And so I didn't want to stay with the sitter. And so I started (laughs) singing uh, at like three years old. Um, the the first song I remember singing was um, "Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost of the Night." <laughs> <laughs> Not many appropriate lyrics for a three year old. Uh, yeah, but uh, guess what? You you were you were asking a good question, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. it was pertinent to my life at that point. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so your family was involved, and so you you have siblings, or uh, they were in music early as well. Yes, sir. The whole family, we just uh, grew up in it. It was kind of one of those. It was country music. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we mostly played in bars and I was unchurched. Um, But the Lord used the music um, to kind of keep me directed and corralled, so to speak. And so um, with him having this plan the whole time. But yes, the whole family was playing and singing. And that was my whole childhood. I didn't play sports. because we were, uh, we played every weekend, uh, at least every Friday and Saturday night, and then uh, sometimes more than that. Wow. Well, I know. I, I watched you, and I watched uh, YouTube. I know you play the guitar. Do you play other instruments, or ju- you're just a guitarist? Well, as I um, had a, a child and a wife and a home and all that kind of stuff, I tended to gravitate towards the songwriting, um, which is more easily done on guitar. And uh, I love the guitar because you can do so many things with it. But I started out on the mandolin. Oh, wow. Uh, some of that was, some of that was uh, just physics 
to where it fit my hands and my body, <laughs> and uh, no one else was playing it. So it's kind of laying there. Well, how many and, strings uh, does a mandolin I, have, Tim? I, you know, it's got, I, it's got eight, uh, but it's uh, there's only four tunings. Okay. And so it uh, each each string is doubled. Okay. On the mandolin. Yeah. Uh, I, so I'm just. It's easier and smaller. Well, okay. I, it just doesn't look easier to me. That's uh, that's amazing. Well, it takes a musician to know that. That wasn't a good. Easy wasn't a good word. If you play it like Ricky Skaggs <laughs> or Sam Bush, it's not easy. Okay. Okay. I got you. <laughs> if you play it like I did at six, it was easier than guitar. <laughs> okay. Well, I know you left your family and you moved to Nashville to do uh, songwriting. And I was reading that, and I wanted you to tell some of the uh, people that you've written for. This This is like a country music uh, list of, of just headliners, man. Yes, sir. I was blessed. Um, I moved here really young. I knew I wanted to come here when I was growing up in the family band in Virginia. All of the Nashville artists at that time, and I mean, I'm like a little boy, five or six years old. And Johnny Cash, Dolly Parton, uh, Rosalie and Joe Mathis, and he had a double-neck guitar, Loretta Lynn. All these people uh, would come through Richmond, Virginia. I was from Mechanicsville, and we would be the local opening act. And I noticed uh, that they all had Tennessee license tags on their cars. <laughs> so I figured that's where I needed to be. And the dream really was born uh, five or six years old. I knew I wanted to come here. And so I got here young. And... Thankfully, uh, some of my musical heroes um, were still here working and recording. So my first uh, recordings of of people who recorded some of my first songs were some of those heroes like George Jones and Tammy Wynette, Kenny Rogers. Um, And then through the through the 90s is when I really was uh, going to town every day and writing. And it happened that my age group of guys, especially, but the girls, too. Um, even though we didn't know each other growing up in different parts of the country, we loved the same music. And so um, Tracy Lawrence, Trace Atkins, Trisha Yearwood, Randy Travis, Reba McIntyre, Toby Keith, all those people recorded my songs, um, Mark Chestnut, Shenandoah. Um, and it was a natural fit. You know, what I was naturally loving to write is what they wanted to sing. And so it was just, a, I know now, looking back, that it was divine timing. Yeah. I, you know, when I hear you say that, and we're getting to this in the area of missions and God's calling, we're, we're just taking a little time to get there. Those of you who are listening, yes, this is Exploring Missions, and I'm inter- interviewing Tim Menzies, and he is from Nashville, yes, a songwriter. But God's, just hang on, we want you to get there. But one more thing before we get there. Yes, I, I know that your heart and your love for country music uh, was there early on. Was anything in, like, I remember this, let me tell you my age, is Porter Wagner. And Porter oh, yeah. Wagner would always, he'd end his rate, uh, television program with a gospel song, you know? And it, it was yes, just sir. a part. Uh, in those early, early days, gospel music and I would say, you know, country western was, was yes. I, I don't know, the word connect may be too strong, but they they had some connection, didn't they? 
Absolutely. And I knew Porter in that whenever I met Dolly the first time, she was his duet partner. Right. Um, and so all, you're exactly right. And all of those people, Loretta Lynn, all of them, the 10th cut, which would be the final cut on their albums back then, would often be a, a Christian lyric and a Christian song. And it wouldn't necessarily be Charles Wesley hymns or what we might need read in a in a hymnal, but uh, it was certainly, they were definitely uh, glorifying God the Creator, and sometimes even Jesus the Christ. And those are the first Christian songs that I ever heard, were those that you're talking about, like on the Porter Wagner show or the 10th cut of an album. And if you go back and look, those first country singers in that era that we're talking about, they really grew up in the country, influenced by farm life, um, church. Um, they almost every one of them grew up in the church. And so there was a connection there. And then musically, gospel and country, the kind of country that we're talking about, um, they are very closely related musically. And they're, you can easily go back and forth between the gospel of the 50s and the 60s and, and even to the early 70s and country music. And the, so, and they did grow up in the church. So there was definitely a connection that it was not just a, they weren't just adding that because they couldn't find the 10th song. Um, they were intentional about it. Yeah. Well, the reason I wanted to bring that up is again, this program is exploring missions. And even in that God is, is demonstrating himself to people, as you said it in two ways, e- either in creation or through Jesus Christ, which is redemption. And, and those yes. are the two major themes in the Bible is creation yes. and redemption. And so these songs, they, they did not go unheard, at least in your mind, did they? You, they, they, were no, making some, they were making their impact on you early on then. Absolutely. And the whole audience, because in all of those early days, um, the particular theater that we would uh, be the local opening act for, it held about 2,500, 3,000 people. And they were, many of them um, were like me. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't in the church. And so many of them were hearing those songs. And uh, I think it's another example of uh, his word does not return void. And so um, they were reaching an audience that, uh, or a, a listener that may not listen to you and I. Yeah. Amen. Well, listen, that yeah. brings us up. You were in country music, but something happened in 1991 that changed everything. What was that? Well, my wife grew up in the church, and um, when our son was born, she felt compelled to have him in the church the way she was raised. And uh, she was an only child and her mother and father and her, uh, they were in church constantly, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and then special events. They were up there if the doors were open. And she felt compelled to have our son in the church. And uh, I, I only, you know, I, it's not that I did not go. I would not go. I got you. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but the hypocrite in me, I didn't mind them going. Um, and, it, you know, when you look back, of course, it doesn't make sense because I was un, unregenerated. And so um, one day when he was about five, they came home from church and I was still about half asleep. I was in the kitchen and he came up to me and 
my son, and he said, how come Mammy and Papa go to church, being my wife's parents, and me and Mama go to church, and you don't? <laughs> and that was a turning point. And uh, I was never an atheist, um, but I certainly did not, was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as I was standing there, uh, my first thought, you know, and I, I'm not proud of this, it was just true. Uh, I thought, I'll just outweigh him. I'll just wait a minute. And, you know, he's five, something will cross his mind, he'll take off, you know. <laughs> but, but the Lord had him nailed to that floor, and I didn't know it. And um, uh, everything that I was thinking to tell him, I knew was an excuse. And that's even in my, you know, in my lost condition. And I knew that any excuse I gave him, that it would occur to him to use that same excuse on his mom as to why he didn't want to go anymore. And I didn't want to hurt her. And I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to interrupt that. And so, um, not really having any other way to go. I just said, I'm going to start going. And, um, this is the thing, Bert, the Lord knew that I wouldn't lie to my son, even when I was lost. And so, the next Sunday I was in church and <laughs> when I walked in that building, I couldn't understand. I didn't have a clue. And my writing career, my country writing career was going great. I was doing really well in that time period. But when I came in that church, I felt something that I knew I wanted more of and I didn't know what it was, but I knew I didn't have it. Wow. And, uh, I later came to understand that it was the presence of the Holy spirit. And, um, I was so naive, I didn't, I didn't even know that it wasn't the building, you know, um, or, you know, what the gathering was about, you know, I just knew that, and now I know now that that was the Lord already wooing me. John Wesley would have called it provenient grace, Um, but it was already grace at work, and uh, I know it was grace at work when my my five-year-old son cornered me in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) A little child should lead them, and he certainly did. Amen. So how long did you go before Jesus became Lord? I think with that first time that I went to that church uh, was probably around June of 91, and a few months went by. My wife came home and said the church is having a Bible study, and um, it was that same kitchen. And it was just like the Lord got a hold of me. And I said, I want to go too. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, that Bible study was very intense. It was 34 weeks. You start at Genesis 1, go to Revelation 22. And the, the meeting every week was Wednesday night for two and a half hours. And um, the recommended reading a day was an hour. And immediately, I just fell in love with the Scripture and I was reading three and four hours a night. I would stay up till one or two o'clock in the morning. And the Lord gave me energy. Uh, and I was younger, uh, but I would stay up <laughs> till one or two o'clock in the morning studying and just filling notebooks um, with this newfound love I had and then write songs in the daytime. And we were still in the New Testament. And I didn't even understand, uh, could not really verbalize what was happening. And the teacher of that class recognized it. And one night after class, I told the teacher, uh, I said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I've just become very uncomfortable with what I think. And I know that this word is true. Uh, And he explained to me that the Lord was transforming my heart. 
and it rung a spiritual bell uh, that has, that rings to this day. Amen. Amen. Tim, Amen. God's grace reaches down where we are, and that, that is an awesome testimony. Uh, I could not help, but th- and I'm making this connection. I want you to take it away. How how that connected your salvation with the Word of God. The Word of God Absolutely. is quick and powerful and sharper than any yes. two-edged sword and is able and to discern. It is living. It's, and so right. that that has influenced what you're doing now, right? It not only influences the foundation. Um, it's an absolute foundation. And um, so I I went from loving the Scripture and just falling in love with it to being called to teach. And I taught hundreds and hundreds of classes. And to this day, I am not a good teacher at anything else, even guitar, of which I can, I can show you and talk to you and desire that you would know it. But I'm not good at transferring that information. But when it comes to the Scripture, there's a spiritual gift that I received, and I didn't even know it for a little while. Yeah. And um, so all those years, while I was writing and playing guitar literally all day, writing those songs, studying the Scripture at night, teaching classes Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. I did that for 20 years. And he was preparing me for this ministry that he called me into. Uh, and the name of the ministry is The Word and Song. Amen. Hey, listen, Amen. I, I remember—I don't know who it was, but it said Christianity— and using it as religion in a good way, not a bad way, is the singing mm-hmm. religion. You know, it Amen. is. That's uh, right. I, I've observed others. They can do chants. They can do whatever. But in with Christian, when they we get together, there's something that brings that out of Even for people like me that can't hit a note correctly, and I, I'm serious on that, I love it and appreciate it and love to be right in the middle of it because music, it draws you in. The Word of God draws you in. So you're really doing two things that draw people uh, to look at their lives and to share with others, the Word and song. That's awesome, brother. Thank you. And that's a a beautiful observation. Um, And... I can say this with no ego because you and I understand that I know, you know, God's doing it. It's not me. Um, but you're exactly right. What he has now done is he leads me to write these songs that are kind of a parable or an application of his scripture. And people hear them with fresh ears. People who've been in the pews for decades, they will hear these stories from these new songs telling the same gospel and proclaiming the same scripture. But I've noticed that sometimes it, it's a, it's kind of a new, um, a new light or a new uh, perspective. And then people who are unchurched, I play a lot of these uh, cowboy churches and a lot of them didn't grow up in a denomination. The cowboy church is their first experience. And so they will respond to these stories that unfold the Word of God very quickly. And I've noticed it breaks down obstacles and barriers, the music does. And then if the song is theological, you're just getting the best of both. Amen. This is awesome and wonderful. And again, I 
I wanted to hear, and and it is a powerful tool. So you're able to go to churches, right, and and minister? Yes, sir. So how can— Yes, sir. You're listening to Exploring Missions. We're talking to Tim Menzies, and he has a ministry. It's called The Word and Song. How can people get a hold of you and— and they can, I know they can look at it on YouTube and experience some of it, but how can they get a hold of you and say, man, we need something like that in our church? Yes, sir. Thank you. Tim, I go to Tim Menzies, and you've been pronouncing it beautifully. It's M-E-N-Z as in zebra, I-E-S, M-E-N-Z-I-E-S, timmenzies.com. And that's a website, and those emails um if someone wants to email me, that comes directly to me. And um, I go to churches, and um, uh, uh, it's not a financial decision. Um, uh, that's not my main objective. And so um, I try to go to invitations if it's physically possible. <laughs> that's been my <laughs> my job to say yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, hey, amen. Hey, I do another program with Alex McFarlane, and it's called Exploring the Word, and we teach the Word. And yes, sir. He says, man, I'll preach at the drop of a hat, and sometimes I'll drop the hat. And uh, so <laughs> it sounds like Tim will come, and uh, that's exciting. That's exactly right. Well, let me give us, give us, before we go, time is uh, coming to close to the time when we agreed that we would uh, quit and stop the interview. But give an example, you're not necessarily singing, but an example of one of the songs and how, uh, or uh, I'd say a Christmas verse, uh, not a Christmas, but a Bible verse, mm-hmm. a scripture verse, or a story and develop it into a song. Okay. Uh, the name of my new album is called He Reminds Me. And we read in John 14, uh, 25 through 27, uh, on the Thursday night uh, before the Friday morning cross, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he tell, he's telling them that he must go away to send the counselor. And um, he tells them that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said. And so the title of the album and the first song on the album is called He Reminds Me, and it's built out of that verse that he will teach you and remind you of all things I have said. And it's, once again, a a personal story of the Scripture being brought to mind to the singer by the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit is reminding. And when I'm in a church and I'm teaching, uh, I, I read scriptures and, and tell, you know, connect them to the songs. Uh, I point out that, of course, those disciples had been with Jesus for three and a half years. And when he tells them, he will remind you of all I have said, the Holy Spirit, they heard it in person. But it also indicates to me that Jesus expects us to be familiar with his word so that the Holy Spirit can then remind us of his word and his promises. And so that then, as in 1 Corinthians 2.16, that we can develop the mind of Christ. Amen, brother. You you got it right. And I, I just tell you, the Holy Spirit does that work in and then through us. And uh, when you do this, this is discipleship. This is missions. And your own mission for God, going in churches, and and also where people can get on and listen, and it speaks to their heart. So, Tim, 
Yes. Thank you for your ministry that God's called you into, brother. Thank you. And I want to tell you, Bert, I love American Family News, and I have been reading um, the newsletter uh, via uh, email that y'all put out. It used to be called One News Now. I know you know that. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I've been reading that for years, and uh, I'm a great believer in what y'all are doing, and uh, uh, I think that uh, I pray for y'all and— covet your prayers, and thank you for having me today. It's been a a complete blessing to talk to you. It has been a blessing to talk with you, Tim. And and Nathan, when I think about that word and song, word and music, I can't help but think about some of the hymns I grew up singing that were missional that I didn't necessarily know that was missional. One of them was Send the Light, the Blessed Gospel Light. That was written in 1888 by a man named Charles Gabriel. And so uh, music and missions, that sounds like a pretty good combination if you really think about it. Yeah, I I would have to study this to know for sure, but I have a suspicion that a lot of the hymns that we either sing currently or maybe used to sing in in church worship services, I I have a suspicion that when they were written originally was probably in times of, I would say, great missional movement where God was sending new, uh, like an era of missions where God was sending out workers into the harvest fields by large numbers. And the, a lot of times those songs were in response to what God was doing, but also the Spirit was using uh, songwriters, hymn writers to motivate and challenge and educate even followers of Jesus, showing them, hey, you can go out on mission and take the song with you as you go. So that's, I don't know if that's true, but I would have to study it. But I think that's probably a lot of the history of it. I I agree with you. Onward Christian soldiers, the Salvation Army and others marching as to war. Now, listen, I know that's politically incorrect these days, but we're in the Lord's army and we're need to be on, you know, we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship and that battleship is going to take relief and the good message of Jesus Christ. Another one that came to me and it's, it's newer than that. And and I remember the first time I heard it, I said, yep. And this was the time when churches before the pandemic and churches were full. And the name of the song was my house is full. My my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Uh, That's a call to missions, isn't it? Yeah, it is. A lot of times we encourage our listeners to maybe get a concordance or look up a Bible search online, Bible search tool, look up the word nations or look up the word peoples or, or lands, or like the first song you mentioned, they, they talked about going shore to shore, right? Taking right. the light, sending it shore to shore. But uh, you could almost do that with a hymn book, look up certain terms, and it might surprise you how many have that missional mindset, how many of these songs that are in our past. And it's not just past, it's current. Yes. And we need some future songwriters to have that missional mindset to motivate the church, to encourage the church, to challenge the church, to live on mission for God. Listen to this line as we finish up today. It's from all hail the power of Jesus name. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him, all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. We are on mission for God with our songs, with our sharing, with our service. 
So, Nathan, uh, get on mission, stay on mission, and serve him with all your heart and crown him, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Thank you.